God is great and our God is alive. Hallelujah. We have come today to worship him. You know, that song expresses our complete dependence upon him. There's not a one of us could even draw a breath without his presence. So good morning and welcome to worship. It's good to see you here this morning. We've been thinking about God's word, promises in it, invitations in it. And you know, I, I realize that uh, things are different for us in coming to worship publicly than maybe they have been in times past. But we've met together in the name of Jesus this morning, and he's promised us in his word that even if two or three of us are together, he's going to be there with us. So uh, as we think about the invitation of the word this morning and the promises and encouragement that are there, I think we'll just let the word speak to us. If you'd open your Bibles to the 55th chapter of Isaiah, we'll just read a few verses there together. Isaiah 55. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, Come ye to the waters, he that hath no money. Come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear and come unto me, hear, and your soul shall live. Now let's just stop there a little bit. He said, those who have a thirsty and a hungry soul, if they will come to the Lord, if they will incline their ear to him, he will fatten their soul. He will give them what they need in life. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people, a leader and a commander to the people. Behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not, and nations that knew thee not shall run unto thee because of the Lord thy God, and for the Holy One of Israel, for he hath glorified thee. That's speaking of Jesus. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And, and these next two verses is what we thought about this morning, mainly about this chapter. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it to bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the eater, and bread, seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. 
it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. That's speaking of the accomplishment of God's word as he sends it out to all generations through all history and all time. He sent it out by his law through Moses and the prophets. But this uh, one verse we read here says that he has made an everlasting covenant, even the sure mercies of David. And that comes down to us then through the grace and truth that is in Jesus Christ. The sure mercies of David that are everlasting come down through the generations and come down to Christ, Jesus, our Lord. And we have the glorious gospel of Jesus before us this morning. That's the promise that was left here by the prophet Isaiah. You know, I think about Jesus when he was here, some of the words that he spoke or recorded. And he spoke about the word. He said, the words that I speak are spirit and they are life. Everlasting life. And the word today is going to come to us through preaching. You know, uh, I think about one of the writers and he said that there was a people that the word didn't show a prophet in because it was not mixed with faith when they heard it. And then Paul writes words like this. He said that, that our faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we've come to the right place this morning as we worship God to hear his word to have our faith increased and to have the word just illuminate our souls so that we might grow in that grace and knowledge of God. So I want to go back to the invitation. This is the invitation. If your soul's hungry, if it's thirsting after righteousness, come and you'll be fed. This morning we have a desire, I think, as we worship God, that he would just fill our souls, that whatever next week brings, that we can go back to the word, the promises of it, the invitation of it, and meet the week with triumph, meet the week with victory because of the word and the word that was made flesh and dwells among us. So we're going to uh, go to prayer here shortly. Brother Gary Stahl, I'm going to call on you to pray for us, and we'll take uh, prayer requests this morning. Yes, Lisa. prayer for Ivan and Lisa's granddaughter Morgan that as she goes through her surgery she will have peace. Other prayer requests? Yes. 
Okay, Henry Garber's grandsons were in and out. Two granddaughters. Bruce's girls. A bad accident. Surgery, let's pray for them. Yeah, let's, uh, let's remember Brad and Lisa Brad and Crystal, I'm sorry, and uh, yeah, it is a it's a big thing when your children are a long ways away from home, and as parents, your hearts do go out to them. Let's re let's remember Brad and Crystal in in Honduras. We've had a lot of adverse conditions and weather that are maybe not normal, but the Lord has a message for us. Brother Gary, would you lead us?
Appreciate the opening and the prayer service so far. Just ask that you continue to pray for this service, that ultimately God would receive all glory. Open your Bibles to Philippians, the book of Philippians, chapter 4, fourth chapter of Philippians.
You know with me that Paul loved this congregation at Philippi and a decade earlier before writing this, he left that area, he left those folks at Philippi and part of his heart stayed there. He loved them people very, very much. And now, 10 or 11 years later, Epaphroditus arrives at the Roman prison cell where Paul is and he brings with him uh, finances and love and greetings and spiritual encouragement for Paul from the congregation at Philippi. And Paul asked Epaphroditus to pick up a pen and to write from Paul's heart a message back to those people there at Philippi. That is the, the letter that we have that we call Philippians. Now we're in the fourth chapter as Paul brings his thoughts to a close. He reveals a secret to us, to them, that I'm going to say all people want, but few possess. Everybody desires it, but few people really know it to be true. It's a spiritual gem, a gem of truth that Paul reveals in this fourth chapter. I've titled the message this morning, Paul's Secret to Spiritual Contentment. This little gem of truth that really is mentioned very few times in Scripture and yet it surrounds it all in our Christian living is something that can change our viewpoint on life in general, it can change our perspective on others, really changes our perspective on our Christian life, our daily life, the secret of contentment. Let's read together Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men, the Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, and now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful but lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, verse 11, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, 
I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Verse 19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever. Amen. As a child, if you were to tell someone a secret, sometimes those that were telling might respond like this. Well, I already knew that. If we think it's a big deal, it's a secret, and I'm going to tell this secret, and then they say, well, I already knew that. I realized this morning that you already know this. I'm just reminding you this morning that Paul has revealed a great secret that many people do not possess, and yet everyone needs it. And some of us, myself, I'm speaking to myself this morning because many of us struggle in this area of spiritual contentment even though we already know the secret. Do you have gray winters? You ever become unhappy with life in general? Have you ever allowed outside circumstances or other people to cause an inward disturbance? Have you ever allowed these things to rob you of your inward peace and joy? You ever found yourself losing spiritual satisfaction, your contentment in Christ, your fulfillment in him? Most of us at one time or another would answer yes to some or all of those questions. Before I begin, I need to make one thing really clear because of the use or the misuse of this word contentment. I'm not speaking today saying that a Christian should always be trying to find an easy way out or an easy road, or that we should be trying to be comfortable, that we should be seeking a life of ease. That's not what spiritual contentment is all about, and we'll learn that today. Spirit, uh, that can lead to laziness, apathy, spiritual paralysis, and even spiritual death. Paul was not teaching the believers at Philippi to find an easy way to stay in your little box of comfort and take thine ease. Verse 13 says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And to paraphrase that this morning, I would say it like this. I can endure any circumstance without losing my inward peace 
and joy because of the strength that I gain through the presence of Jesus Christ in my life. You see, the secret to spiritual contentment is a fully surrendered life to Jesus Christ. And you may say, I already knew that. But I ask you again, do you struggle in this area? The secret is Jesus. The secret is Jesus. I remember going to church one time when my parents couldn't go, and they asked me, what did the preacher talk about? And I said, they talked about Jesus. I wasn't really listening, but I knew that would be a safe answer. Pretty simple, isn't it? The secret is really all about him. If you seek peace, rest, stability, steadfastness, fulfillment, inward contentment, the secret is Jesus. Let's first look at a few definitions that others have penned to describe this thing of spiritual contentment. Number one, accepting God's sovereign control over all of life's circumstances, simply resting in his will, regardless of what life deals to you. Number two, the state of the satisfied believer, being satisfied with wherever God calls you and whatever he lays on your heart. Spiritual contentment is a state of the heart which becomes our character. Number three, simply a merry heart. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 13, a merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart the spirit is broken. The heart of him that hath understanding seeketh knowledge, but the mouth of fools feedeth on foolishness. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. Spiritual contentment, this person said, is simply a merry heart. Number four, Spiritual contentment is an attitude. And though I personally think it goes much deeper than that, but it does result in an attitude. A lot of it has to do with our attitude towards the gifts that God has given us. Everything we have is a gift of God. Learn to accept it. There's a Chinese proverb that I ran across that says, To the contented, even poverty is joy. To the discontented, even wealth is a vexation. Someone else said, envy makes a person dissatisfied with his or her family, abilities, possessions, so much so that it acts like a parasite, eating away at the heart and causing the bones to rot. 
we find that spiritual contentment can lead to envy. Envy, the Bible says, can lead to strife, and strife to spiritual death. Have you ever noticed how closely connected envy and strife are throughout the scriptures? Someone else said it like this, and I, I really like this definition or this description of spiritual contentment is a result of our relationship with Christ. Spiritual satisfaction is about knowing Jesus. Simply stated, if you don't know Jesus, you don't have contentment. Knowing him intimately is our fulfillment. You see, you can spend your entire life acquiring things, trying to gain contentment. But if you don't know Jesus, you'll never be contented. Or on the opposite side, you can spend your entire life trying to get rid of things, trying to deny yourself of this and that to gain spiritual contentment. Again, if you don't know Jesus, you'll never be contented. Contentment usually does not come automatic. Verse 11, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am in therewith to be content. Paul had to learn spiritual contentment. And each of us, I believe, have to le learn it as well. In other words, you can come into this service this morning, or you can be listening online, going into this service, and if you're discontented, you may leave this service discontented. What you need to do is apply the scriptures, and we'll go through some here today in this fourth chapter of Philippians in your everyday experience as you walk out of these doors. We have to learn to be contented. It does not come at the snap of a finger or automatic. It didn't with Paul. Paul had more reason to be discontented with life's circumstances than what we do. And yet he learned the value of being contented in whatsoever state he was in. He was called by God. Get your mind around this. He was struck down with a message from heaven, called by God to take the gospel message to the Gentiles. And yet in almost every situation, there was adversity. He was persecuted. He had chains, prison bars, stones, shipwrecks, snake bites, and a continual thorn in the flesh. Did Paul have reason to be discontented? Yes. But he learned through these adverse situations and circumstances, Paul learned contentment. He learned that in each of these adverse situations that his God was always there. And gave, this gave him peace and confidence that he wanted to share. Did he focus on the bad or the good in these situations? In the first chapter of Philippians, verse 12, he says, But I would you should understand, brethren, 
that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel. And I know that's King James' language. What he was saying there is that all of these adverse situations proved out for the greater good. God was in it, and I'm content with leaving it there. Paul learned contentment. He focused on the good in these bad situations. And we must learn as well. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And that's speaking, of, that's not speaking about setting us down because we're tired physically. That's talking about an inward rest, an inward peace and contentment. Jesus says, Come to me, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. In this passage that we read, Paul gives us ten stepping stones on the path towards spiritual contentment. We're going to go down through this chapter rather quickly. I won't be able to dwell on all ten of them, of course, because of time. As I thought about it again this morning, I thought really this would make a good series. There's ten, ser ten sermons right here in these few verses. And we should be giving it more attention than what we'll have time to this morning. Ten stepping stones on the path to learn spiritual contentment. Again, to me this is a big secret. And I realize you already know it, but I'm here just to encourage you in the times that we live in, if you're dealing with any type of inward disturbance, turmoil, and discontentment, let's listen to Paul's secret. Number one, learn to rejoice. Verse four, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Joy is the overall theme of this book of Philippians. Paul comes over it time and time again through these four chapters. And I ask us this morning, where is our joy? If our joy is in the Lord Jesus Christ, then rejoicing is our response. Rejoicing is the response that comes out of our everyday life. This is, this is possibly the number one reason why people are discontented in their life, a lack of joy. Of course, our joy is not based on our outside circumstances or what other people do to us or present to us. Our joy is an inward joy with what God has done for us. This joy is only when it's fully realized can a Christian or anyone have spiritual contentment. We realize that, that God takes full control of every situation when we yield it to him. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8 
whom having not seen, ye love, whom though now ye see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. 1 John chapter 1, verse 4, And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. That's not saying that you know about joy. That's saying that you know joy, that your joy is full in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we know the joy of Jesus Christ, again, our response is rejoicing. I've quoted from him before, but James Whitcomb Riley says it like this. It ain't no use to grumble and complain. It's just as cheap and easy to rejoice. Well, when God sorts out the weather and sends the rain, well, rain's my choice. You see, it's all about getting your mind around what God can do. And we joy in that. And when we experience that deep joy, our response is rejoicing over and over again. Number two, learn to be moderate. Webster, verse 5, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. And so just like, first of all, knowing joy and then let that joy come out of us through rejoicing, the same thing Paul says here. First, be moderate. Be temperate. Be reasonable. And then let that be known to all men, it says here. There is a testimony in, uh, in us experiencing joy. There is a testimony in our moderation. Again, I don't think Paul is saying here to be mediocre, to just smooth everything over. Maybe yes, maybe no, I don't really have a mind on this. That's not what Paul's saying when he speaks about moderation. He's just saying be reasonable. I think some of the other Bible versions would use that word, be reasonable, and then let that reasonableness known to all men. There is a message. Things turn out the best to those who get the best out of the way things turn out. Things, get, things turn out the best to those who get the best out of the way things turn out. It's a matter of perspective. Learn to be moderate. In a British museum in London rests the final draft of Thomas Gray's masterpiece, a poem titled, Elegy Written in a Country Churchyard. Not satisfied, he rewrote it. And then he improved it a third time. This continued on for eight years. Gray never considered his poem to ever be complete. In the museum is each successful draft carefully penned by hand, all 75 copies. Learn to be moderate. I think what it's really saying is learn not to be an extremist. We know extremists, and again, I'm not saying that we aren't to be radical for Jesus Christ, 
and to take a stand at times, but we know extremists, most of them are not content. Number three, learn, to, learn not to worry. Verse six, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. Be careful for nothing. Is this saying that we don't have cares, that we don't have concerns, not at all? In 1 Peter 5, verse 7, it says, Casting your care upon him, for he cares for you. That would tell me that we do have cares, that we do have concerns, but what is imperative is that we upload those cares to Jesus Christ. And I, again, any time that I speak on worry, I'm speaking to myself. I sense everyone getting a little tense when the subject comes up because in some way or another, we are all guilty of this thing called worry. But if worry has a control on our life, we are not spiritually content, satisfied fully in Christ. Don't blame others for your discontentment. They may cause the situation, but it's your own fault for not uploading that to the Savior. In this, he can offer contentment even in the worst situations. Too often our contentment is like a thermometer rather than a thermostat. And I'll make this comparison. You take a thermometer, just a little tube filled with mercury, and that little guy knows everything around it. It knows the climate. It's continually monitoring. It continually knows what's going on. And then it just tells everybody about it. So many times we are like a thermometer. We are in the know. We have to know what's going on, and then we tell everybody about it. A thermostat, on the other hand, does some of the same thing. It's not ignorant of what's happening around it. It's continually monitoring the climate around itself. But it doesn't go up and down, up and down. The thermostat is set. When the temperature goes down, the thermostat waits patiently. And when the temperature falls, it doesn't just tell everybody about it. It don't get all worked up of itself. It has no power to change anything either. But it's closely connected to the power source that does. And that's the difference between a thermostat and a thermometer. The thermostat is fixed, and it is closely connected to the one that can change things. And when the temperature drops to a certain temperature, which is different with Lisa and myself, when it reaches that temperature, it sends a signal to the power source, and the power source can make things happen. 
I ask you, as it relates to your worrying, your discontentment, is your life like a thermometer going up and down with no power to change, just worried we're going up, we're worried it's getting hot, we're worried it's getting cold, the surroundings around us aren't good, and so we're dwelling on that, and our conversations all deal with that, or are we fixed on Jesus Christ? In patience, waiting, and when the climate gets just right, we know that he will take full control. Learn not to worry. Again, it doesn't come automatic. We have to learn it. And sometimes, most of us, we learn the hard way. Jesus says, take no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow will take thought of itself. Verse 6b says, learn to pray. Again, if I was to tell a group of Christians like this, don't worry about anything, just learn to pray, I'd be preaching to the choir. You already know it. Pretty simple. Or is it? It could be the number one reason for our discontentment. It says here in this verse, let your request be made known to God. Again, like a thermostat, send the signal. Pray. Learn to pray. Possibly the most profound statement that could be said, and yet it's too simple for the most of us. The more open we pray, I'm convinced the more contented we'll be. Let your requests be made known to God. Again, it's kind of that, it follows that same theme. First, you must have joy, and then let that joy be made known. Rejoice. First, you must be moderate, and then let that moderation be made known to all men. Here he's saying, learn to pray. Let your request be made known to God. God's not only a good listener, but again, he has the power to change. We'll move on, number five, in verse 6c, learn to be thankful. Again, a great secret to contentment. Quite frankly, I think we're losing this aspect in our Christian life. It's a good thing that we teach our children to say thank you. It's a good thing that we bring repetition into that as a small child. What happens when we get to be an adult? Are we thankful? Are we bubbling over with thanksgiving? Colossians 3.17, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks unto God and the Father by him. That's saying whatever you do or however you say it, give thanks through your speaking and through your deeds. Give thanks to God. Learn to be thankful. Possibly one of the greatest hidden secrets. 
because being thankful is different. Well, it maybe isn't different. It's deeper than just simply saying thank you. Having a thankful heart. The congregation where we came from years ago, Gales and us, there was an older sister there, and she didn't have much. Her house was really, really primitive. She lived by herself. Her family was scattered. And yet when we would go visit her, we would say, Sister Martha, how are you doing? And every time she would say, I'm so thankful. Now we have people in our congregation that are that way. I'm thinking of someone right now. Is it you? Or not? Let's learn to be thankful. One of the greatest secrets to spiritual contentment. Thanksgiving is more than a once a year holiday. It is a state of the heart and can become a lifestyle. Number six, learn that peace and contentment comes from knowing that God will keep us. Verse seven, and the peace of God which passeth understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Learn that peace and contentment comes from knowing that God will keep us. I don't know what you're facing right now. I, I know some of the things that we're all facing out there in the world, in the realm of politics and COVID and our businesses and occupations and families and all of these things that we weren't facing last year. Some of you are facing even more specific things in your family. Learn through it all that God will keep us. Peace and contentment comes from knowing that God will keep us. This says that we will possibly never understand it, but that we can experience it through Christ within our hearts and minds. Regardless of our situation, he will keep us. Can you find peace and satisfaction in that simple promise? Gail talked about the promises in God's word. Dwell on the keeping power of God. God will keep us. Hebrews uh, chapter 13, verse 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. God will keep us, and that is a secret to contentment, the keeping power of God. Whether you have a little or whether you have much, God will keep you. Remove any fear that the situations that are outside of you can rob you of your inward contentment. Dwell on the keeping power of God. Number seven, learn to meditate on the things of God. Verse eight, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think 
on these things. Again, we could isolate any of these points that would enhance our spiritual contentment. I wonder if this isn't one of the greatest things. Like Gail said in opening, dwelling on the word of God, thinking on the word of God, meditating on the promises of God. If you're struggling with discontentment and inward turmoil and a lack of peace and joy within your heart and mind, think on these things. What if? What if our phones had the ability to track what I'm thinking about? What if this iPhone had the ability to track what my desires are? What if this little thing, object in my pocket, had the ability to keep track of where I spend my time? Oh, it does. It really does. If I was to do a history search in this little phone, it would probably tell me where I've been spending my time, what I've been thinking about, what are my desires. Is it any wonder I feel discontentment at times? Is it any wonder why I get disturbed? Paul says the secret to contentment is to think on these things. And he is specifically pointing out the things of God's word. Let's dwell on God's word. Let's spend our time there thinking on these things. More could and should be said. Yeah, Colossians 3 says, Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. But when God, who is our life, shall appear, ye shall appear also with him in glory. Set your affections on things above. Learn to meditate on the things of God. Someone said it like this. Well, let's move on. Verse 11 and verse 19. Learn that true contentment is need-oriented, not want-oriented. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Verse 19, but my God shall supply all your need according to the riches and glory by Jesus Christ. Every need that you have, your true need has been supplied through Jesus Christ because he died and rose again for us. There is a vast difference between our needs and our wants. Oftentimes, we're trying to base our contentment on our want list. If we were to fully base our contentment on our need list, we would be fully contented because our needs have already been met. We were poor. We had nothing, but he who had it all gave it all up for us that we could have everything. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. When our satisfaction is based on our wants, our life is like a spiritual roller coaster. We get this car, 
been wanting it for a long time, the tranny goes out. We finally get this nice house. A couple years later, it needs a roof. We get a new church fellowship. <laughs> They're not perfect either. The list can go on and on and on when we base our contentment on our want list rather than our need list. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory. When we realize that our needs have been supplied in Jesus, we can be spiritually content even when the material things rust and fade away. Psalm 23, we find a list of needs that have been supplied through the Messiah, our shepherd, Jesus Christ. I think I've quoted this before. You may have heard it before of the little girl in Sunday school. The teacher had been experiencing some difficulty in her life and she was really struggling with this thing of inward peace. And she had the, the little students uh, memorizing Psalm 23. And so this particular Sunday, she calls on each student to come forward and rehearse or say Psalm 23. And many of them were able to do that. Here's a little girl in the back of the class, and she knew she didn't know it. And she's pretty nervous. And she goes forward, and she turns around, and she just simply says, the Lord is my shepherd, and that's all I want. And the teacher cried. Our contentment is based on our needs. Our spiritual contentment is based on our spiritual needs. Let us realize that he has supplied our needs through Jesus Christ. Number nine, learn that contentment is based on what's going on inside of us, not outside of us. And really, we've been already speaking about that. Verse 12, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Learn that contentment is based on what's going on inside of us, not outside of us. Really, contentment is a choice. Your circumstance may be staring you at the face like a brick wall, and that may not be your choice. But you have the choice whether to view it as a blessing or a curse. Author unknown. The key to spiritual contentment is not to become the victim of circumstance, but rather the victor over circumstance. Author unknown. So that we could say again that spiritual contentment is living above. John chapter 4 talks about that well of inward satisfaction through the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 55 that Brother Gail read speaks about not spending your bread on other things and not spending your time and your money on other things, but dwell on that 
spiritual satisfaction, that inward living well, that water of life, and your soul shall delight itself in fatness. Number 10, really, contentment is simply a matter of trusting God. Verse 19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Proverbs 3 tells us that we're not to trust in men or our own sufficiency, but we trust in God. Really, spiritual contentment is a matter of trusting in him. That's where true stability comes and inward spiritual satisfaction. Because we trust God for who he was, we trust God for who he is, and we trust God for who he will always be. Learn to trust God in all of our circumstances. And in this, we can really experience inward contentment. In closing, Paul closes this letter with glory and grace. He opens the letter with peace and grace be unto you, he says in verse 1, chapter 1. He closes the letter with God's glory and God's grace. And ultimately, he says here, according to his riches and glory, now unto God our Father, verse 20, be glory forever and ever. Amen. God, have you ever thought of it like this? God desires you to be living a peaceful, contented life. Again, not a life of ease, but through it all, God wants you to be experiencing an inward peace in Christ Jesus. And when you do, there is a testimony that goes out into this broken and disturbed world. And in that, God can receive glory through your life of spiritual contentment. So, several stepping stones to learn spiritual contentment. Learn to rejoice, learn to be moderate, learn not to worry, learn to pray, learn to be thankful, learn the keeping power of God, learn to meditate on the things of God, learn that contentment is need-oriented, not want-oriented. Learn that it is based on what's going on inside of us, not outside of us. And number 10, that we simply need to trust God. In summary, Paul leaves this verse 23, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And the church says, amen. Let's have a song.